Unfortunately, probably every single person listening to this is also far too familiar with diet culture. In this episode, I talk to Dr. Lara to demystify diet culture and give options and tools for real nourishment over restriction. Welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. My name is Cassandra Wilder and I'm a period and hormone expert and an ND. Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, beautiful friends. Welcome back to the Cyclical Podcast. I am really, really, really excited about today's episode because I got to talk to the incredible Dr. Lara Zibaras all about ending diet culture and allowing our bodies to really find nourishment from our food instead of restriction. If you're like me, diet culture is like a little too close to home. I was just about every diet you could imagine over the years. I was vegan, I did keto, I was paleo, I was raw vegan, which that was a whole thing. (laughs) I've been dairy-free, gluten-free, I've been it all, and I never felt really satiated from any of them, and I definitely had some extreme beliefs around food. If you've dabbled with diet culture, unfortunately, this is probably hitting right at home because you know what it's like to restrict everything you eat and feel like you're never satiated, you're hungry, and you're struggling with this idea of the right weight you're supposed to be or how you're supposed to look, and it causes these hugely disordered eating patterns. So my guest today, like I said, is Dr. Lara. She is a psychologist and a food freedom coach. She helps women develop a healthy and happy relationship with food without the guilt or emotional eating. So in this episode, we talk about a lot. Of course, if you've struggled with diet culture, there's a fair trigger warning here. We do talk about it all, but we talk about the effects of strict eating. We talked about orthorexia, you know, which is the eating disorder of extreme clean eating. I think a lot of us have dabbled with that. We talk about how diet culture creates famine in the body, amenorrhea or losing your period and how restrictive dieting and low calorie diets definitely play into that. We talk about the difference between dieting and food freedom. It's such a good episode, so enjoy, and I can't wait to hear your feedback on what you learn. Hi, Laura. It's such an amazing opportunity to have you here on the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm so honored to be here, Cassandra. I've been following your podcast and your Instagram for so long, and I just love what you stand for and how you put so much humor into a very important topic. (laughs) I try. Otherwise, it's kind of bleak, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited especially to get to talk to you, actually. I mean, I think what you do is so, so needed. I think a lot of us Mm. have dieted, you know, since we were Mm. obscenely young. We've been told to remove whole food groups. We've been told to restrict calories. I mean, it's pretty devastating, I think, Mm. when we all really play back our relationships with food. Yeah. Yes, I agree. It was this part of your story as well. What is your experience like with diet culture and how did you overcome that? Oh, yes. I mean, I I, (laughs) name a diet and I've done it. I spent... (laughs) so many years of my late teens and early 20s with a very terrible relationship with food. I'm a real extreme dieter. I tried the cabbage soup diet, the Atkins diet. I was fat free when everyone was, that was the fad and Mm -hmm. did the low calorie. And and actually at one point I was really only just surviving on an apple and a yogurt a day. So very much entrenched in that disordered eating. And sadly for me, that led on to an eating disorder and, and I battled with bulimia for quite a few years. So very entrenched, as you say, in that diet culture. 
oh, just hearing that makes me want to hug you, you know, and no. I'm sure you feel that too, right? Like yes. when we think of our younger self yeah. and how oh, we yeah. were chasing some, some weight or some mm-hmm. body, you know, size or whatever. And we, we really lost focus yeah. in what really matters, which is our yeah. health. Mm. So true. And I think the thing that no one tells you, because yeah, out there in diet culture, there's this idea that thinness equals health. Yes. And and no one tells you that actually, if you're going to go down that route of, of diets, extreme diets, it will impact your health in a negative way. And um, one of the things that's always made me smart on your Instagram is how that idea that when you lose your periods, the doctors just put you on the pill. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened to me when I was 17. I didn't get my period for a year. The doctor put me on the pill, completely masking the fact that he, I mean, he didn't ask about anything about mm-hmm. it, you know, my eating habits or anything. And so there was that. I had IBS. I had really bad stomach and digestive issues. But again, it's kind of glossed over. No one really talks about this stuff. Yep. It's sad how that's a story. I think everyone listening is like, oof, <laughs> that was me too. And yeah. it's it's confusing in the moment because you don't know what else to do or who to trust Absolutely. or yeah. yeah. So then how did this shift into your 20s? I mean, of course, now you're a psychologist, so you mm-hmm. have a lot of education and training yes. in in how I would imagine, you know, our minds play into yeah. all of this too. Yeah. So from after um, struggling with bulimia for a while, I was probably around mid 20s when I finally, I re- quote unquote, recovered. And that was definitely through a combination of, of eating disorder and nutrition counseling. And then I had a few years of actually a very positive relationship with food and nothing was on diet, on off plat. You know, I could eat whatever. I was very comfortable in my own skin. Um, And then I got pregnant and I had my babies. And I think that, um, yeah, I struggled with that for quite a few years. So although I'd had the eating disorder issues, then there's that pressure to get your body back lose your baby weight and all that. So I was, I I kind of, I think I got very much sucked into wellness culture. Mm -hmm. And this was at a time when I was a psychologist, but wellness culture was such a thing for so many years. And really now I look back on it and I think it's just diet culture in disguise. So you've got all these gorgeous glowing influencers talking about cutting this food out, cutting that Mm -hmm. food out. And so yeah, so I definitely got sucked into that and that created a very, uh, a, a huge obsession with healthy healthy eating and clean eating and this is the funny thing so like you say my background I'm a psychologist I've been in the field for about 15 years and I've always had an interest in health and nutrition I think and think since I had my eating disorder um, so I was this is the irony I was a trained psychologist I was also then training as a health and nutrition coach this is after my youngest who's now seven um, after she was born. And I now looking back at, I think I was probably orthorexic at the time. So mm-hmm. I had this extreme obsession about, you know, no sugar and cutting out gluten and all that kind of thing. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that I, what I was, what I was doing. And it was only probably about three or four years ago that I was suddenly like, what am I doing? I've suddenly created such an unhealthy relationship with food and as a psychologist, like <laughs> the irony, huge irony, like realizing that by being so restrictive, I was actually creating more of a desire around mm. food. Um, and so thankfully, 
um, through, yeah, I guess through kind of what I knew and reading a lot of books around food freedom, I came to food freedom coaching through my, my health coaching. Um, and I realized that really that's the way to go and, and realized through again through my psychology coaching that mindset has such a huge thing to play in this whole area yes it does more than I think any of us want to really acknowledge Mm. (laughs) you know it's it's a big piece and I just I really want to thank you for sharing your story so honestly and vulnerably because I think it shows how it's all of us like literally it doesn't matter what background you come from what schooling you've done like literally all of us Mm -hmm have struggled with this. And I think it shows how pervasive the media and the marketing of these diets really are. Yeah. Yes, I totally agree. And I, and it's the same in the coaching that I do it, you know, lots of people from all different walks of life, different backgrounds, different educations have this, you know, a, a negative relationship with food because of what we're told in diet culture, diet culture is all around us. And we mm-hmm. see this, yeah, this whole idea that we need to be thin to be healthy, or we must restrict certain foods, or we mustn't eat this food, and we must eat more of that food. It's scary. <laughs> it's it really is. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So what is a food freedom coach exactly? Like, how does that differ? And when someone comes to you and say, is mm. gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, <laughs> everything, yeah. how do you support them in transitioning away from that because I think usually there's a lot of rigidity in really wanting to hold on to it yes there is I think a big thing is I really understand because I've been there so I had rigidity around how I was eating when I was in the throes of my bulimia um, and I had um, I restricted so much that it ended up me binging basically is how it worked and with orthorexia I was so rigid even more rigid I think I was you know I cut everything out of my diet to the point where a few years ago I was eating very little actually I I shudder to think and so when people come to me and and I realize that they you know or they realize more to the point that they want to heal their relationship with food what I'm intending to do is help people create this healthy and happy happy relationship with food but it's about thinking about eating for nutrition and something that's enjoyable as well, satisfaction. And um, we're trying to move away from feeling guilt, feeling stress and feeling shame when they're eating. And so a lot of it is exploring, you know, why, why are we eating like this? So the very first step that I, uh, that I work through with people is about helping them understand you know, what is diet culture and how has it impacted them? And obviously that's different for different people. For some people, it could be stuff that's happened in their past as children, you know, how we are taught about food, you know, what our caregivers say about food, whether people talk about that food hierarchy. But Mm -hmm. slowly what I'm doing with people is um, helping them escape diet culture, which sometimes is, is the hardest step. Um, And then another step is helping people tune into their body. And I know obviously that's an area that you're really big on, that idea that we often have lost touch with our bodies. And from a food perspective, you know, people have forgotten what it's like to feel hungry. They're scared of hunger or they're scared of feeling full because they think feeling full is really bad for them. And then once people have tuned more into their body, then I'm helping them Uh, recreate that eating experience so learning how to eat something that's nutritious 
but also going to be satisfying and enjoyable. So sometimes that's going to mean the the salad and the stir fry and other times that's going to mean the cake and the ice cream. So, (laughs) and it's being able to do that without guilt as well. Yeah. It's incredible to hear your process with it. You know, I think I would struggle to put into words how to shift that mindset. And you just did that Mm. so eloquently and simply and (laughs) made it sound, you know, like really doable actually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I, at least in my experience, you know, working with the many women that I have, I find that there can be a lot of rigidity, especially around, Mm. um, animal proteins. So Mm. meaning big, big rigidity and wanting to be very um, strict as a vegan or even vegetarian, even when it may be to a detriment. Have you found extra complication in that area? Yeah. You know, this is, it's a really good question actually, because um, there's also people that I've worked with that have medical reasons for not eating certain foods. Mm -hmm. So um, I've had someone who has an autoimmune condition. She's been told by her doctors not to eat gluten and you know so then there are people who have celiac disease so they're obviously reasons why you may be cutting out certain food groups um, and also you know if you're vegan or vegetarian so again what we work with a lot so and, and those are slightly different categories I think so obviously with people who are um, doing it for medical reasons one of the things I work with them to understand is is a bit of a mindset shift so Yes, they could eat that food, so they could eat gluten, but this is where it's reconnecting them with their body. So what does it feel like when you eat gluten? You know, what what are the what are the results? And then is it worth it? So they're shifting their mindset from not from I can never eat gluten, but to I don't want to eat gluten because it makes me feel XYZ. And then with people who are doing it for more maybe ethical reasons so vegan or vegetarian, what we spend a lot of time exploring is where does that come from? So I've worked with people who have become vegan because of diet culture. So not necessarily for ethical reasons, but because they've heard that veganism is a great way to lose weight and, you know, it's going to make you super healthy. So And in some instances, obviously, they have to work with a different healthcare practitioner, maybe to get some blood tests to see, you know, how they're doing, especially if they're feeling particularly tired, and maybe there are actual reasons. So a lot of it, again, is thinking about that mindset of where, where is that coming from? And I've worked with people who they slightly relax their, um, for, for, for reasons where they, they're realizing that being fully vegan is making them not feel good. So again, it's about reconnecting them with their bodies. It's not making them feel good. And therefore, they're relaxing their approach a little bit. And it's different for different people. I, I work with people who've continued as vegetarian, um, but we're making sure that they're eating in a very, um, I think one of them, a lot of times and again this comes from diet cultures people end up eating the same thing over and over again and not varying Mm -hmm. their diet so again it's working with people to help them understand that actually one of the best things you can do is is giving yourself variety in your diet um, rather than more restriction so I talk about this a lot it's about um, addition rather than subtraction so what can we add to your diet and we're not going to talk about taking anything away at all we want to add things so, yeah, so hopefully that answered your question a little bit. Totally. 
Totally. I love that last part you just added in there with the adding in versus taking away. Mm. That's what I say to people. And I think maybe you get this too. Sometimes when people, you know, want to work one-on-one, they're, they're really scared of that. They think I'm going to be mm. like, you need to be gluten-free, yes. dairy-free and soy-free. And I'm like, no, it's the opposite actually yeah. is, yeah, what can we add in that will be nutrient dense? Yes. Um, yes, exactly. And I love what you said with the, you know, the more restrictive diets like vegan or vegetarian and encouraging people to come back to why, yeah. you know, they're attached to it or what they feel with it. Because I struggled with that too. I was vegan for years and mm-hmm. like, I feel like I got to just a point of like, I wasn't even open to anything else. And I was yeah. like very offended if someone, you yeah. know, encouraged something different and, um, but it made me very ill. And so eventually yeah. I, I remember my partner at the time gave me a steak and was like, eat it. <laughs> and I was like, no, but um, <laughs> like, that's how sickly and uh, anemic yeah. I was. Like I, yeah. I just had no, nothing left. Yeah. And I think for some people, it can be quite a shock when they realize what impact it's had. And I'm, you know, you say that as well, because I, I feel I'm I'm similar path. I was virtually vegan and gluten free at one point a few years ago. And it doesn't leave very much that you can actually eat. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I think it is. It's exactly that as like exploring, like, how has that impacted you? And sometimes when people get blood, you know, blood work and they realize that they are deficient in certain um, nutrients and that can really shift that mindset, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So in your experience working with so many different people, when you work with people that have lived very rigid diets or really been part of diet culture, mm. what kind of effects do you see that create? Oh, yes. So this is really what I start with when I when I speak to people is really understanding the impact that these extreme diets have on people. And so the first thing I always talk about, and this is interesting, because I never really understood this or knew about this. But I think once you understand this, it makes so much sense than what your body does and what impact a diet has on you, because there's something called set point weight. So basically, biologically speaking, if you don't do anything like I restrict, Mm -hmm. your body will stay in a natural weight range of between seven and 10 kilos, which is quite a big weight range. But what happens is if you try and lose weight, you do, you know, intentional weight loss, your body does everything it can to try and get back to that natural weight that you're you're happy at, Um, which is why a lot of dieters end up putting weight back on because that's your body's it's a defense mechanism of your body so biologically and then so when I see people who have dieted they'll say things like oh when I was dieting I just felt hungry all the time food seemed to be absolutely everywhere it was like calling at me to eat it I had all these cravings and I had no energy and I'm like okay let me tell you the biology behind (laughs) what's happening it's like your brain is programmed your hypothalamus is programmed to notice food when it feels like there is a restriction i.e it thinks it's famine (laughs) obviously Mm -hmm. it's not famine it's just a diet and it's your body's way of showing you look there's food around look at that look at that and eat it eat it so your body's programmed to do that and then people say they feel hungry all the time that's because their hormones kick in their hunger hormones basically um kick in so they have to eat more to feel satisfied and they feel hungry, I'm sorry, full at a later point. So they have to eat a lot more to feel full. 
So it's the hunger hormones basically kicking into action to say, eat more and mm-hmm. eat much more. And when you start eating, keep going. Mm-hmm. So, and then the other thing, people always talk about being super tired. The other thing that happens when you go, um, you know, into starvation, you know, you're starving yourself basically or going on a diet is that um, your body starts burning muscle tissue for energy, which is insane because obviously when people are dieting, what they want is they want more lean muscle and they're trying to get rid of fat. So you you see all those adverts like, you know, lose fat, fat, fat loss quickly or whatever. Um, but basically because your body has realized that there's, you know, food is in short supply because your muscles burn more energy or they use a lot more energy you will start to burn muscle for energy and then your body actually tries to store more fat because it sees that you're in a famine i.e a diet and it's worried about another famine that might come along another time so it's like actively trying to store um fat just in case mm-hmm. that happens again and it, and this is again why people end up putting di- um putting weight back on very quickly And then I think the other thing that happens, so those are like biological reasons, I think psychologically as well, you're setting yourself up for failure because the the mindset is all about deprivation. You can't eat this. You know, you've got a list of restricted foods. Um, Don't don't eat this. Don't eat that. And what you're actually doing is you're creating more cravings as well because as soon as you say to someone, you can't eat this, that's exactly what they want to eat. So you end up thinking about that food all the time. Plus those foods are put on a pedestal because you can't have them. So you're craving them, you want them more. And for most people, eventually they'll crave, they'll cave into that craving. And then they feel really guilty because they think, oh, I'm such a failure. I couldn't stick to that diet. And then there's that mindset of, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll start on Monday again. And it becomes this never, psychologically speaking, this never ending cycle of restrict, create more cravings, eventually cave in, feel super guilty, and then sort of punish yourself. It's almost like, you know how people say, it's all right, I'll run it off tomorrow. It doesn't matter because the diet starts on Monday. It becomes this never ending cycle, this kind of binge and restrict cycle, Mm -hmm. um, which probably a lot, you know, a lot of people do, but they don't realize it and even the fact that people call things cheat days I think that's part of the binge and restrict cycle it's like restrict all week but don't worry because you can binge on the weekends and actually they're just calling it a cheat day I'm like Mm -hmm. that's a that's a planned binge you're basically you're doing what people with eating disorders do but you're doing it in a kind of restricted and regulated way and planned way yeah that's such a good point. I hadn't thought of that, but it literally is like a, yeah. a secret eating disorder. And um, same yeah. with the like, you know, you see it around like Thanksgiving and Christmas where they're mm-hmm. like, earn your turkey tomorrow, yes. you know? So, you know, yeah. come to this power yoga class or whatever so that you're worthy to eat what you want tomorrow. Absolutely. And it's so gross to me. Yeah. And so, and that is exactly, that is diet culture through and through. Mm-hmm. You need to make take make penance for eating and it's not good to feel hungry and if you do eat you know and you feel overly full woe betide you you must go and run Mm -hmm. five five kilometers to run it off it's just yeah it's awful it's awful Mm -hmm. I like too how you talked about the you know 
the physiological effects of all of this and how, mm. you know, like for your liver, for example, if it doesn't have any more glycogen or stored energy, it will like literally start to eat itself. And I think yeah. sometimes we have to speak that frank for people to see yeah. like this is this is not good. This has a long term yeah. effect when we're really constantly yeah. restricting or fasting. I think that's a whole yeah. other thing we could talk oh. about is intermittent fasting <laughs> and the weird disordered thoughts that oh, gives no. us, you know, for oh, years. No. I lived on coffee because that didn't break your fast, right? So yeah. if I can drink yeah. coffee all morning on an empty stomach, oh God, oh, yeah. then uh, when I eat at noon, then, you know, it's just so, it's sad when we think about it now, but yeah. when you're in it, yeah, it's hard to see through it. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. And again, it's just the diet culture saying that that is what we need to do in order to be healthy. And I'm like, how? how how do you think that's healthy it's just not yeah yeah so interesting. And, and the other thing just while I'm on my little rant um, <laughs> is that if you look at the research on diets this is this is where I just think it's crazy that people still recommend diets because the research categorically shows that diets don't work. And there's this amazing um, researcher called Tracy Mann, who's done all this incredible research, but what she's done is she's looked at all like long-term studies of dieting because maybe like 15, 20 years ago, people used to say, well, diets do work. And obviously it depends on how you classify work, but the research in general shows that whatever diet you go on, whether it's Weight Watchers or keto or low calorie, in the first six months, dieters lose roughly about 10% of their body weight. And that's pretty much well-established. So a lot of the early re research looked at that and said, well, diets work because people are losing weight. But if you start looking at long-term research and you, you monitor these people over two, two to five years, roughly, basically the vast majority of people have put the weight back on. And in two thirds of the cases, they end up heavier than if they hadn't dieted at all. Wow. And now there's even more research that's showing that the biggest predictor of weight gain is yo-yo dieting. Wow. Isn't that that's insane? wild, yeah. <laughs> it's so wild. And I think we've all felt that if anyone listening yes. has been part yeah. of this, which I imagine you are because you clicked the episode, but yeah, um, yeah you get the short-term benefit. So you're like, yeah. yeah, this is amazing. And then eventually you plateau yeah. So you lose your momentum and you, yeah, you feel more bloated. You feel whatever it is that you were trying to get away from. Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I see the low calorie craze still mm -hmm. present sometimes. Yes. And I don't know, I think more people struggle with this than, than I even know about. Cause I think there's a shame that people have in admitting they, you know, eat literally a thousand calories a day mm -hmm. and they're hungry all the time and they're yeah. PMSy cause they're hungry and, um, can you talk a little bit about how that plays into amenorrhea or losing our period? Well, I mean, this is basically the thing of, so 1400 calories a day is what a toddler needs, um, to, to <laughs> just, just to wow. live basically. So if you're then telling grown women to go on a 1200 calorie a day, 1200 calories is fairly standard for a lot of the diet plans out there, then it is going to have a negative impact. So that, you know, the things I said earlier about, um, you know, you're going to feel hungry all the time. You're going to start burning muscle tissue. Your metabolism is going to slow down as well. 
And then from a health perspective, if you don't have energy, basically your body just focuses on all the bits that are important and fertility is not important in famine. And this goes back to, you know, the olden days (laughs) where if you were in a tribe and there was a time of famine, they didn't want new babies around. Of course they didn't, because how are you going to feed them? So you stop you stop having your period. So there's so many, so many negative things that happen, but that's one of them. And then the other thing that is really interesting um, research-wise shows that, and again, it depends on which research you look at, but over 90% of people who have um, disordered eating end up with gut health issues as well. So you're looking at quite a lot of kind of health issues in the long run when you're when you're on these diets jeez stuff that we all wish we would have been told yeah (laughs) when we started reading these diet books at 15 thinking you know our little tiny bodies were fat you know like yeah 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 it's really interesting I I haven't heard that that 1400 calories a day is what a toddler yes and here we are grown women eating less than that because we think that will achieve some weight or something. Um, But, and that's the irony, right? Is those low calorie diets, like you started to talk about earlier, create that famine mindset in the body. So then we're turning on fat retention. We're keeping every little thing we get. And that's what I tell people is our bodies really are more like simple than we think in that it's looking for famine and it's looking for stress. And if it reads either those, the hormones yeah. are going to shift. That's going to yeah. go towards survival over reproduction, ovulation. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we think of it that way, I think it encourages all of us to just <laughs> nourish our bodies, which sounds yes. simple, but it's yes, it's a yeah. um, it's a journey. So yeah. if you were working with someone that say was doing twelve hundred calories a day, a lot of restriction, how do you help them start to? feel more open to increasing that without the fear of, you know, I think most people are scared they're going to gain weight. That's their first fear. Hey, beautiful friend, I'm interrupting this episode really quickly to tell you about today's sponsor, Funkit Wellness. If you've listened to the podcast for a while or you follow me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about my favorite seed cycling company. Funkit is a small woman-owned business based out of Austin, Texas, and they create beautiful seed cycling kits to help nourish your hormones and get your cycle back on track. Seed cycling is as simple as sprinkling these ground seeds onto the foods you eat every single day. And there's two different packages that come in your seed cycling kit. So you're using different seeds at different times of the month to support your natural hormone fluctuations. Funkit makes it so simple with their beautiful kits that are organic, non-GMO, vegan, and made in small batches locally. I've been personally using Funkit seeds for over a year, and I really can't tell you how much of a difference it's made for my own hormone and cyclical health. And I love how nutrient dense the seeds are and how much they nourish me through my cycle and my health as a whole. You can get started with Funkit seed cycling kits with 15% off with code DRC15 at funkitwellness.com. I have the links in the show notes below. Hint, they make great holiday gifts, so go to the link in the show notes to order. So, so the very first thing we talk about is, is that idea of does, does your weight actually equal health? And there's a lot of research actually that shows that um, thinness doesn't necessarily equate with health. So we're exploring um, what diet culture is telling us 
and um, I always, I always go to the research as well, obviously with my psychology background, but there's two papers that I always pull out for people to show them. And one is um, just to, to, to prove that this thinness doesn't equal health. So there's an amazing piece of research in 2018 by um, Ortega and colleagues. And they talk about, and it's talked about extensively in the research, is this fat but fit paradox. Um, and so research shows that if you're fat and fit, and I obviously use fat in a descriptive word rather than in any derogatory sense, but fat but fit people have much better health outcomes than thin, unfit people. Mm. So Ortega and colleagues basically say that you're much better off focusing on improving your cardiovascular fitness than losing weight. And the other thing I always talk about is another piece of research also from 2018 by Baskaran and colleagues. Um, and they basically, this is an amazing study because it had a population of 3.6 million people in it, based in the UK. But it's a cohort study looking at these 3.6 million people, looking at their um, BMI, so their weight, and then what are their health outcomes and how do they eventually die? So it's quite a long-term wow. study. And basically findings show it's more like a kind of it's like a U-shape or they call it a J-shaped result where if you have very low BMI, actually your health outcomes are, are bad. <laughs> and also if you have really, really high BMI, but they're talking about over 40, so not just mm-hmm. overweight. Which is a lot. That yeah, would be exactly. A, that, would, that would be excessive, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's, that's more than morbidly obese, you know, classified as more, more than morbidly obese. It's really, really high and very low. So if you're classified as low um, BMI, so you have very bad health outcomes. And actually, ironically, or interestingly, ironically for the people who go on and on about um, weight um, thinness equals better health, is that the people who are in the quote-unquote overweight category had the best health outcomes. So we start by exploring a lot of that and then also spend a lot of time kind of really thinking about that idea that um, health doesn't have a certain size and it is, it is possible to pursue good health without dieting or losing weight. So if their, their whole, you know, if what they're wanting to achieve is health, what I'm helping, helping people do is move away from a dieting mindset to a health focused mindset so that you can incorporate health promoting behaviors into your life, but without the focus of losing weight. So, and there's lots of people, things that people can do. Obviously it depends on what they're where they're currently at at the moment, but eating more fruit and veg, getting better sleep. I know you had an episode on (laughs) sleep recently, Mm -hmm. Um, movement, if they're not moving very much and actually even reducing movement or exercise if they're over exercising so and so it's I call it a health mindset it's helping people create a mindset for health um, rather than a dieting mindset where the obsession is about losing weight because actually what we want to achieve is something that's long-term and sustainable and you can do forever without ever having to go on a diet now I'll finally answer your question about like people who have the real fear of gaining weight so we spend a lot of time really understanding the diet culture elements and where it all comes from. And we talk a lot about this idea that actually what we, we um, quote unquote, we like globally consider um, beautiful at the moment is different depending on which country you live in for a start. 
Um, but also the t- point of time in history. So at the moment, we're all about, in, well, certainly in, in America, in the UK, we're all about like thin waist, a little bit muscly, you know, decent sized boobs, decent sized bum. But actually, if you look over the decades, that wasn't the case in the 1970s. It certainly wasn't the case in the 1930s. And if you go back a couple of hundred years, actually women who were quite um, buxom, you know, like a bit of padding, they were considered beautiful. And actually it was considered unnatural and unhealthy to be thin. So again, we're exploring a lot about, you know, our beauty standards come from diet culture and they don't necessarily mean anything. It certainly doesn't mean that you're going to be more healthy if you are a certain BMI, as I explain with a lot of the research. So, you know, we it's important to address that because I know that some people are terrified. But what I say to people and what happens with a lot of my clients is they find a weight that's natural for them. And that is what I said about that set point weight earlier is that everyone has a natural weight that, you know, you you will stay at without, you know, without really trying very much. And I definitely, that's where I've got to now. Um, and it was interesting for me personally in my, um, my eating disorder days and dieting, my weight pushed up over that period of time. And then when I was just back to kind of food freedom, quote unquote, food freedom, um, it got to a kind of a natural weight and it stays there now, no matter what I do, whether I go on holiday, whether I do, you know, whether I do exercise and movement or whether I don't, all that kind of things, you know, you're at your natural set point weight. And so a lot of food freedom is about also helping people find that natural weight. And for some people, that's going to be maybe heavier than they are currently, because if you're having, if the only way you can maintain your current weight is by eating 1200 calories a day, losing, you know, losing your period, having terrible health, you know, health issues. And for a lot of people, it's like, you know, it, it affects your skin and your nails and, you know, you don't feel very well. Mm-hmm. If that's the only way you can maintain your weight, then that's not the weight you're meant to be. But then equally, I've, I've worked with a lot of people who, by starting in the process of food freedom, they've found their weight, which is maybe slightly less than they are currently. So it's, um, yeah, we work a lot on, on that issue and helping people through that process. And I always say to people, you will find the weight that is natural for you. And in a place where you feel healthy and, you know, if you went and got your blood blood's done that you'd probably find that you're more healthy now than you were Um, and again the research backs that up to say that when people find that food freedom um their blood work comes back and and it you know it looks good Mm -hmm. this is so fascinating i love this conversation (laughs) Uh, and i'm really glad you were bringing up you know the finding your natural weight because I think a lot of us chase the weight we were mm. when we were like sixteen. You know yes. when we were, yeah. you know, likely just smaller than we are now, and yeah. not realizing that like that you were an adolescent then. Like now you're a woman. Yeah. Now you have a different weight, and yeah. I totally agree with what you're saying. I probably weigh more than like thirty pounds than when I did in high school. And while for a long time that bothered me, and I felt like I was doing something wrong, mm-hmm. you know. I have found that this is the weight that my body just wants to be in. And if it helps me ovulate and helps me feel good and gives me energy, 
then why do yeah yes. why do I care what the the scale shows Absolutely. but I didn't get there overnight yeah <laughs> that was yes. a journey but <laughs> yeah yeah and I think that's the thing is that this is totally a journey especially if people have spent so long entrenched in diet culture I think for for a lot of people it's quite a scary journey as well but yeah they're holding their hand along the way (laughs) yes I think it is beneficial to have someone like you hold their hand because Mm. it can feel very unknown yes especially when we've been so infiltrated from such a young age with every movie and magazine and literally everything everything is about losing weight yeah it really is yeah. You know, one of my clients shared with me recently that she remembers being like 12 or 13 years old drinking a Slim Fast for lunch every day because she, I know, I was like, I just oh, want to wow. cry and hug you. That's, yeah. I'm so sorry you thought you had to do that. Um, but it's the perfect example of all this. And yeah. the 90s, oh, so we were sad. all about that, weren't we? Slim yeah. Fast and yeah. Atkins and whatever. Oh, I know. I know. And it was all around. Oh, so that's a thing is that. When I reflect on it, when I was like 15, 16, everyone I knew dieted, like Mm -hmm. it was just really normal. Even if you were, you know, slim, like people were just on diets. They were doing Weight Watchers. They were doing, yeah, like you say, slim fast. They were like, oh, I'm not eating for lunch because I'm going out tonight. It was just, that was the, it was just the way things were. I never questioned it ever. Just never questioned it. And like you said, even when you think you meet your quote, body image or weight or whatever you think you want, it's never good enough. That's the problem with diet culture is there's always another pant size you should go down and there's always another restriction you could implement. And that I think is why it is so, so toxic. And, and even in the orthorexia realm, you know, like it baffles me. We have a whole eating disorder of being too clean. Like that's so interesting. I know. And having been there as well, when I look back, I'm like, what? And and the thing that I didn't realize at the time is actually how privileged it was. Like some of the things mm. that I was saying to people, I like I really shudder now, but some of the things I was I was saying was just so privileged. It's like, you know, only eat organic food. I had this moment, and this is where I knew that there was something wrong, where I was on holiday with my family, um, and my, my little one was maybe about a year at the time, And we were in a French supermarket and I burst into tears because I couldn't find organic something or other and I couldn't get gluten-free something or other. Mm. And I literally started crying because all I could think of was like, oh my gosh, if my kids and and we eat non-organic food, we're literally going to die. And then I remember like a week later being like, what? (laughs) What was I thinking? And I, I had this moment of like massive realization that there's something wrong that I'm so, that I can't even enjoy a holiday and just enjoy the beautiful French food because I'm so wrapped up in wellness culture. And I'm worried that, you know, having a few days of eating something off my, you know, okay list that, you know, it's, it's a problem. It's a really real problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think everyone can resonate with mm. that. Um, and it is very privileged when we think we have to, you know, yeah. everyone should follow the same yes. rigidity that we have. And yeah, that's a really powerful point. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I literally could talk to you all day. I'm, I'm just <laughs> loving this. You're so great. And I, it's just, you know, refreshing too, when you can talk to someone so like-minded who also is wanting to get 
people away from this restricted yeah. way of living and yeah. love them and support them and remind them that they're worthy no matter what they eat, no matter what you yeah. weigh. It's like all enough. Yes. Yes. So true. So if someone's listening to this and was hoping for a couple really helpful starting points or, you know, something they could do today to start to reframe their experience, mm. what are a few things you could share? Yeah, so a few things, I think. I think one of the very first things, um, if you're thinking about like, oh gosh, diet culture. Like I remember thinking, remember realizing that I had no idea about diet culture. So I think first off, it's important to notice it. Like I would say to people, start noticing it. Look at, look at it on your social media feed, when you're having a conversation with your colleagues at work. Like what are people talking about? And do people talk about going on diets. And honestly, I have so many people come back and say, oh my gosh, it's like, it's literally everywhere. So first of all, notice it. Secondly, and this is the hard part, it's a bit of self-reflection, like how are you part of it or contributing to it? And again, when I started looking at myself on this, I was like, wow, you know, but how do you exercise? Do you exercise for your mental health or do you exercise because you want to have a <laughs> certain body shape? And how do you speak about yourself? Are you one of those people that are like, oh, I look so awful in this, or I need to lose some pounds before I get into that swimsuit? And also, how do you talk about food? Are you someone, and this was me, like I always used, to, food was on a hierarchy. So I had bad food, good food, healthy food, unhealthy food, junk food, like those kinds of labels aren't helpful. So I always say to people, start talking about food you know, whatever it is. So it's an apple or it is a bar of chocolate or it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, you know, just get away from uh, moralizing food. Um, I think another thing that you can do, and this again was so huge for me, is to stop following any accounts that are diet culture obsessed. So I did a big mm. clear out, especially with Instagram. I love Instagram, but I did a massive clear out of my Instagram and stopped following people that were posting loads of before and after pics, people who were speaking ne negatively about food or their, their bodies, or people, I guess, on the other extreme that talk about like certain foods or, or supplements as like elixirs of health, have this and then you will be healthy. Or, you know, people who are very just, yeah, kind of that again moralizing mm -hmm. food or, or themselves um I think also and again this is just such a almost like quite a big one but moving away from the idea that that health has a certain size um and start thinking about rather than you know I need to do this so I can lose weight it's like you know think about the other benefits maybe for example exercise what other benefits does that movement or exercise give you? Is it a mental health thing? Do you feel good? You know, um, it's just thinking about incorporating health promoting behaviors into your life, but moving away from that focus um, of, um, you know, of weight. And then the final thing I'll say, I mean, I really could give you so, so many, <laughs> but the other thing is about learning how to neutralize food. Um, so, we, you know, I've talked a lot about what happens when you restrict food. And the, the big thing that a lot of people find super scary is like they say, but, but Lara, what happens when I start, a, you know, what I can't keep ice cream in my house. I can't keep cookies in my house. I'm just going to eat them all. So I really encourage people. Uh, it's like almost like doing a thought experiment with them. So you know, let's say that 
you know, ice cream is their food that they can't keep in the house. They say they're going to binge in it. And I say, okay, let's do a thought experiment. You know, if you said, right, I can have ice cream now forever. And so the next day you're like, okay, I'm going to have ice cream for breakfast and you have ice cream for lunch, ice cream for dinner. And I get them to really think about how they'd feel. And normally by the like second or third day, I literally never want to see ice cream again. I want to have a, you know, some carrots with some hummus or I want a salad or a stir fry. You know, they'll they'll want something that is much more nutrient dense. So I say to people, you know, actually allowing that food into your life doesn't necessarily make you binge on it. You might feel like that's all you want to eat for the first few days, but I promise you, if you have it in your house with no restriction, you'll just end up like almost like forgetting it's there. And um, I'll just give one little example of that. So when I was recovering from um, bulimia, one of my fear foods was toast with peanut butter. And I think we, we say jam in the UK. Is it jelly in the States? Peanut butter and jelly? Both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, you yeah. say both. Um, I, it was a fear food. It was one thing that I either was restricting or I was binging on it. So I was really terrified that, I was going to just eat it all day long. And during that recovery process, the person who I was working with as a nutrition like counselor basically said to me, I want you to eat peanut butter and jam on toast every day for breakfast, literally for as long as you want. And it, wow. it totally terrified me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not sure I can do it. But I obviously went ahead and did it. And so I ate every day. I'd have two pieces of toast with peanut butter and jam. And literally after about two weeks, I was like, oh, I actually don't want that for breakfast and (laughs) I'm not that fussed about it anywhere. It took by exposing myself to it. It just took the fear out of it and the desire away. And I probably eat peanut butter on jam like once a month now. Mm. It's just not a thing. So I, you know, I, I know that people will get there, but it can be super scary in that process of starting to try and reconnect with their bodies again but it's possible. It is possible. Yeah. That's a great story. And it shows the mental component to it so well. Once it wasn't the forbidden fruit, it lost its allure. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So good. Those are amazing tips. Very, very doable (laughs) and very gentle and loving. Um, Where can everyone connect with you, Lara? And if they want to opt in to something you do or they want to work with you, how can they do that? Awesome. So, one of the best places to find me is on Instagram. I am Dr. Lara Zib on Instagram. I'm also over on YouTube as Dr. Lara Zib. So pretty easy to find me. Um, and I also have a Food Freedom Masterclass, which is a great kind of first step to identifying, you know, if it's something that you, you would benefit from working with. It's free and it's over on my website. So it's drlarazib.com forward slash masterclass and you can just register for um, a session there. Amazing. Well, I'll link all that in the show notes for everybody. And I really want to thank you for coming onto the podcast and sharing your wisdom. And I'm so grateful you exist in this world to help everyone heal. Yeah. And get over um, a lot of this disordered thinking that we've been ingrained to have. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been lovely to chat to you. Oh, good. (laughs) And if you're listening and love this episode, please share it with a friend or someone that needs to hear this message. And otherwise, friends, I will see you here next week. Thank you.